0: This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey.
1: Thank you, Gary, and welcome everybody to another edition of Talk for Two. First, as I find myself doing at the top of a lot of these episodes, I want to apologize again for my longer than usual absence. I told you at the end of January we were headed out to Vegas you can head over to themusicuniverse.com to hear about our nearly month-long adventure on the West Coast. I was home from February 1st to March 5th or 6th about 35 days, uh, or excuse me, I was home about 10 days out of, out of 35. So I spent 25 days on the road on the West Coast. And then I came back and I got another strep infection and then an allergy, cherry blossom season-related, uh, terrible, Sore throat that I could barely talk through. So uh, I had to push this wonderful episode with an incredible guest. One of my favorite conversations. I'm so excited to bring you Banachek. Banachek is the world's greatest mentalist. If you want to get into mentalism, Banachek is the first person you look at. He is one of these rare folks, and we talk about this in the interview, who actually still performs a lot of the material he teaches And he talks about doing that and having that accessible for the people who want to learn it. And obviously you have to know what the magic and mentalism resources are because he does not want people to believe he has actual psychic powers. And in fact, in the show, in his show, he ends it by talking about how he is merely a psychological illusionist. And You'll hear in this interview that I became interested in wanting to interview some mentalists, and we'll have another one from my Vegas trip in a couple of weeks here that I'll just want to space him out a little bit, uh, because I'm now interested in mentalism. I'm now in a point in my life where I'm getting back into an interest in live performance. But more than that, Banachek's career is really, really fascinating. He came on the map as part of Project Alpha. He reached out to James Randi, Uh, the world-renowned skeptic, the late James Randi, uh, and said to him, if you ever need somebody to try to fool scientists, I'm your guy. And you'll hear him tell that story. And then later on in his association with Randi, they went and debunked the uh, televangelist, the supposed faith healer, Peter Popoff, through uh, frequency searching and picking up uh, uh, God, in his ear, which sounds a lot like his wife. You'll hear, again, Banachek talk about it. And Banachek is his legal name. He is no last name, Banachek. Banachek, no last name. Uh, and talk about the story of changing his name. It's a nearly hour-long conversation. We sat in his studio in Las Vegas, and we just talked and about mentalism, about magic, about psychic fakery, about... James Randi, about the Alpha Project, about his new show at the Strat, Mind uh, Mind Games, and of course he has his own podcast, which he said he would put this interview on, called Banachek's Brain, so go ahead and check that out, and I'll link that in the description box on talkfor2.com, and if you get a chance and you're in Vegas, make plans to go see this gentleman, he performs a matinee, a four o'clock show at the Strat in the same showroom that Sammy Hagar performs in, and it's a really beautiful, intimate showroom at the Strat. I know North Las Vegas, the North Strip, the North Strip in Las Vegas, excuse me, is a little bit, uh, is not as well populated as Center Strip and sometimes South Strip, but it is worth checking out the Strat. The Strat is newly renovated, very lovely property now, and Banachek's show fits perfectly. So I I want to waste no more time getting to this interview. This is a truly fantastic conversation. Here now to tell us exactly the kind of mind games he plays, our interview with Banachek. Banachek, thank you for making the time here in person in Las Vegas. How are you, sir? I am doing fine. It's good to have you in our studio, actually.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. This is a cool, cool studio. You do your podcast from here. I do my podcast in DC from my studio. A cool setup, you use the same equipment I do, everything. So tell me a little bit, before we get started, tell me a little bit about your podcast. So my
0: podcast is Banachek's Brain, yep. um, which basically means that I can talk about anything that enters my brain, anything <laughs> that I'm interested in, you know, and uh, much to the chagrin of Tyus sometimes. Uh, you know, we did a whole episode on toilets one time, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally on toilets, and it was great, it was fantastic, he hated it, but you know, so yeah, we're, we're kind of like eclectic all over the place, whatever we want to talk about, we talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love it, I love it.
0: It covers skepticism, it covers mystery, it covers uh, science, it's it's a little everywhere.
1: Well, we're going to get into that uh, in a little bit, because I want to talk about your experience with Project Alpha, and James Randi, and all that stuff. But before we begin, again... Twisted fork? I ended up with the fork. <laughs> <laughs> so you came to the show, is yes. what you're saying. Yep. The show at the Strat is excellent, and Tyus was telling me on the way over here... Um, that you just, this is your first Vegas residency, not your first time performing in Vegas. Correct. And it just launched in
0: August. August the 4th, yeah. It launched August 4th. And uh, we hit over 100 shows. Uh, I think we're probably about 130 now, somewhere up in that, that somewhere around there. So wow. yeah, yeah. Going strong. Uh, COVID has not been our friend, but it's not been anybody's friend here in Las sure. Vegas. Uh, it's no, well, nobody's friend anywhere, I guess, <laughs> really, when you think about it. <laughs> Um, but uh, the numbers are building, it's a 620-seat theater, you know, fantastic lighting in there. I brought Nick Lang, who, uh, who did uh, Chris Angel's lighting and uh, mo- multiple other people's lighting as well. So he came in and, and, and lit the show. It needs to be relit right now because there have been some changes made at the Strat. They've put a couple of million dollars worth of uh, video walls, and they're putting video walls in the back. They've changed out the audio system. Um, you know, it just keeps going on and on and on, and every time you make one change, it's like a domino effect. You gotta make a million others, so mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Is that, is that a unique challenge to you? Are you more used to going into one room, adapting to one room, and not having to adapt to a room that is constantly changing itself? I'm used to traveling
0: and being in different size rooms every right. single day. Uh, like in the college market, for instance, you could come to a place where you can only fit like 20 people. Next day, you come to a place and it's 5,000 people. Um, yeah, you, you don't know. You know, I, I never took techs on the road with me. Uh, so I would show up, and uh, it would be a student sometimes who didn't even know how to turn the sound system on. That <laughs> is my tech for the entire show. Other times, you know, you got professional techs that are working there. So you have house house people that are working there. It it just it just it varied. So as a result, I didn't have a lot of lighting changes, a lot of lighting cues um for the college market or even for the corporate market i just Mm -hmm. just didn't have it i just simply went up uh, give me a stage wash make sure i'm lit as well as the audience if not better and you go ahead and do it what's nice about being in a uh, a professional theater here in las vegas on the strip is um you have that luxury because light and music and video add so much to a show it just completely changes it
1: yes you know i'm i was a magician i am a magician i should say uh, I got out of it, got into media, but now that I'm in DC I know a couple of rooms where I can I wanna do I wanna take this and and turn it into a mentalism show myself. Oh, uh, it's
0: like a podcast kinda well, mentalism thing or the,
1: the the idea of the interview. The idea gotcha. of really looking at someone, getting to know them and turning that into oh, that's I have great. a few ideas for a show. Yeah. So take a since this is also maybe going to go on your show, I can say uh, take the idea of a and a act, for example, and instead of the audience asking a question of the mentalist, the mentalist having a fact and asking a question of the audience. That's uh, great. That's a great idea. going into that. So I, I had somewhere I was I was going with this. What, yes, what I wanted to say is you say at the beginning, because I'm a student of yours, um, you say at the beginning, I'll offer X amount of money for anybody who can prove I'm doing it this way, this way, this way. Right. I know for a fact you're not. And you are one of the best minimalist stage mentalists I've ever seen. The best. I'll tell you why. Having nothing. Yeah. And... Going for 15 minutes. Well, because for me, actually,
0: uh, I'm I'm going for an hour and 10 minutes in that show room, But right. But yeah, yeah. But I do that on purpose um, because I I don't want to do a mental magic show, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, mental magic where it feels like it you're a magician on stage. Right. I want to come closer to where it feels like I'm a psychic. Right. In a way, but yet it's entertaining at the same time. It's not mm-hmm. boring. It's entertaining. And I and I think the only way you can do that is almost being a minimalist, you know, is not having, you know, I, I if I get any uh, feedback at all, one person said in a review, they said um, it's not like a big Vegasy show, but in a way it is. But what they're expecting is pyrotechnics in a, in a, a metalism show. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna have that, right? It's just right. it's just not. But I, I know the other metalists in town, they do do things where they try to put big props on stage and stuff, try to build it up and make it more of a, a flashy, Vegasy show. But mentalism is what mentalism is. That's not what mentalism is. Mentalism isn't this big, huge uh, arena, rock arena type thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that. And I know Penn & Teller, I think, I, I, now I realize why. But they had one thing, uh, oh, I can't remember what the name of the trick was, but it was very cheesy and vegasy. <laughs> and that was their kind of way of saying because I think they were they were a little more minimalist in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And I think somebody says, Oh, they're not the flashy Vegas show. So they went as flashy as they possibly could and had this huge illusion on stage. And that was their sort of in your face kind of thing to to that. So yeah. but yeah, it's for me, I even though I say I'm not real, even though I say I'm not psychic, I still want people to have that emotional feeling of like you just—that's what you just saw, right? right? And it's like you said, I offer that money, I offer ten thousand dollars to anybody to prove I—I I know these people, or I've met these people before, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and and yet people still want to say, oh, I think he used stooges. Like right. I, I had somebody on a review said, I you know, I know he used stooges. You know, it's about what somebody spoke to somebody ahead of time. No, that's not. I I I I didn't use a stooge. I don't use stooges. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: You know. Gets into the question I have that I think, I think about often, which is, if you're a magician and you're a street magician, you're David Blaine type, and you walk up to somebody and you show them a card trick, they'll go, "That was a really good trick," or if you're a stage magician or an illusionist, they, they know they're seeing magic. But there is something about seeing a mentalist where, and you sing this a couple of times in your, you sing this line a couple of times in your show where it's like, "I'm not real. I fool yeah. people into thinking I'm real," and we'll get to that in a minute. Even still, people walk away so entertained and so emotionally spoke to, You, some people you can't convince it's not real. Yeah, I mean,
0: there are moments in the show where there is shock silence. People don't know how to react. They don't know right. if they should applaud or what did I just see. There are those moments, you know, and, and, uh, and I know there's those moments because people tell me that after the show they come up to me. And the very last thing I say in the show is, I'm not a psychic, you know, I'm not an expert at reading body language, I wouldn't put my life on the line and leave it up to destiny, fate, you know, I do tricks, I do tricks with a human mind, um, and, and yet it still has that feel of being real, you know, I had a show called Telepathy, and Telepathy was a show that was about my life. Mm-hmm. really but the whole first of the show I guised it into a show about telepathy what is telepathy you know, is it spirit whisperings is it electrical connections is it you know what, what do different people think it was through the years and I was able to perform all the way through that first half of the show as if I was a genuine psychic it's if I really truly had these powers and I was doing it on purpose. And I close with something I think is absolutely despicable and Tyus, my manager, and I had a long talk about this as well because it is, it, it's, it's almost crossing that line but I had to cross that line because I needed everybody in the audience to have the same emotional feeling that they would have if they went to go see a real psychic or a real medium. Mm-hmm. So I talked to the dead at the last half of the show, right? Before we go to intermission. And so I'm talking to people's dead relatives, and I've got people crying and that, and I'm feeling like crap while I'm doing this. They're feeling horrible. But there's a justification for it because when we come back, I start out as if I'm real, but then there's a point where I talk about mediums and I say they're scum. Why can I say this? Now I get to tell my life story. But the reason I had to do that was because I needed them to have the exact same emotional feeling that they would have if they went to a genuine psychic. Because when people come to me with their anecdotes about psychics, they're going off that emotional feeling they had at that time. Yeah, but this one thing, and it's about how they feel felt in that interaction with that psychic. It's not always about how amazing what the psychic told them, although that's what they remember, but it's how they felt in that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to be able to get feedback from that show, and we would get things, here's, here's one, uh, one, and a lot of them were along these lines, but a girl said, I talked to my mom about psychic phenomena, and we can never speak about it because we end up in a huge fight. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in parapsychology. My mom's a heavy, heavy believer. And the moment the topic comes up, we end up in a big fight. We came to see your show, and I sat through the first half of the show, and I'm sitting there, and I'm starting to believe that this must be real. Maybe I'm wrong. And we get out into the lobby, and my mom says to me, see, I told you this stuff was real, and I didn't know what to say, she said. And then you came back in the second half and you said it was all BS. And on the ride home, my mom and I had the longest conversation. We spoke about this all the way home. We spoke about it the next morning. And we were actually cordial to each other about it because now we understood where the other person was coming from, right? Mm -hmm. And it was because now they both understood the emotional attachment to the experience.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. But then you get people, I'm going to name drop it if you want me to cut this out? We can't. No, no, go ahead. I'm, but I'm, yeah. you take somebody like a Yuri Geller, sure, who you and I both know what he's doing because, yeah. frankly, I've seen you lecture.
0: But actually, I've been told by many people now, and I, I've seen it myself. Geller is using some of my techniques.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. Why won't he drop character? He can't. Why, why are there some mentalists who just well, won't drop character? So let's say
0: Geller's too happy. So got to be careful with this. Let's say that allegedly character. (laughs) Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. So let's say let's say Geller Geller has said himself. You know, if I was a magician, you've got to say I'm the world's greatest magician because I would have fooled so many people. But he could never ever say, even if he was a magician, which I personally believe that he is, right? Um, And I've seen what I believe is evidence of it time and time again uh and i also know geller and met geller so you know we've we've had conversations um but um let's say geller was a magician well geller has sued people for multiple things right allegedly you know people have said that uh geller is a fake he's a fraud you know he's they've said these things and geller has sued so if he was to come out and say he was a magician now Geller would be in a lot of trouble, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean he would be in a lot of trouble. So I, he could he can't drop that mm-hmm. because he, it's been taken to the courts. You know he has gone after people. Um, so yeah, wow. There's no way he could. There's just no way he could say on his deathbed. Maybe he could say, but that would be <laughs> about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that takes us into. I know there was Project Alpha, but before that. W- was when you convinced government officials that... That was Project Alpha. That was Project that Alpha. Was Project that Alpha. Was, Project that Alpha. was Project so... Yeah. Pro- yeah. So you convinced, in Project Alpha, government officials, that you had psychic powers. Yeah. Talk to me about the genesis of wanting to pull one over o- on the Washington suits, and was there any guilt in that, and what was the o- overall mission? So there's a lot that you've thrown out there.
0: So, yeah. So um, we should just maybe tell the story just Least a little do. bit. So, yeah. So... Um, uh, I guess I should go back to my childhood, right? Please. So I was born in England, uh, 1960. I'm an old, I'm 61 years old now, so yeah. Uh, and uh, my mom divorced. Uh, my dad was an American GI. Uh, she remarried, she had two kids. We immigrated to South Africa. My mom abandoned me there when I was nine, with two brothers a year, three years old. I say abandoned, my stepfather was around, but he was an alcoholic. We hardly ever saw him, maybe on Sundays or maybe two days a week, if that, right? Yeah. So Yeah. Um, I pretty much raised my brothers by myself. They would say they raised themselves too because that's <laughs> how we all see things, right? Right. Um, and, and there was, uh, this was just back, uh, let's see, it would have been, I was probably about 14 years old and there was a superhero that was coming uh, over to South Africa and they didn't have TV then, they only had radio, Springbok radio. And he was coming on Springbok Radio, and uh, it was Yuri Geller, right? He, the superhero who said he could actually bend in objects with his mind, right? Hmm. And he said, everybody can do it, and I'm going to teach you all how. So I'm sitting at the radio, and I'm listening. Geller comes on, and Geller's like, go get a piece of metal uh, around the house while during the commercial break. So I go around, and I find a little needle that my mom had left behind for a sewing kit. Brought it to the radio, concentrated on it like he said, believed it was going to bend, and it bent. Well, at least I thought it had bent, like on a micro level, right? Not not, not a lot, just a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, but why wouldn't I want to believe that I had these superpowers, right? Especially being in the situation I was. You know, this was making me special now. So then I, uh, I went to uh, find my biological dad, uh, who I hadn't seen, like I said, since I was a year old. Found him in Australia. Um, we moved to the U.S., Colorado. At an old bookstore, I picked up a secondhand copy of The Truth About Uri Geller. I think it was called The Magic of Uri Geller and then, and it changed to the name The Truth About Uri Geller. And the truth, as Randy put it, was Geller was nothing more than a magician posing as a psychic. And as I read this book, I became a little upset um, at myself because I learned a valuable lesson. I learned that just because people are in a position of authority doesn't make them an expert. And mm-hmm. that's sort of where that genesis started coming in there. So I read the book. Uh, in the book, uh, there was a couple of ways that taught how to bend uh, keys and nails. And from that, I started creating my own methods. I had never actually seen Geller perform, of course, never seen him do anything. And I would heard that when you see Geller, you actually see the things bending. Well, back then, I found out later when I did finally see Gela that that wasn't always the case. You saw it with nails and you saw it with keys, but with the regular silverware, it was usually hidden in a kid's hand that was brought out from the audience, or somebody's hand, they took their hands away and it was bent. Uh, so I started creating my own methods, uh, which ended up being much far superior than what Gela was doing, because all my bends, you had to actually see the things bending. Mm-hmm. So much so that the kids were stealing all the silverware from the cafeteria, or bringing it to me. They went to plasticware <laughs> until I graduated. Uh, I figured a way to make the school bell go off early by crossing wires in the hallway. Um, (laughs) And I told him, I I told all the kids, we're going to set it, watch, today, the bell's going to go off early. We're going to get out of school early. You know, I did that. I got in trouble for both of those, by the way. That's great. But I became a little cocky. I wrote Randy a letter. I said, look, if you ever need a kid to try to fool scientists only to come out and say it was all a hoax, I'd be happy to. And I didn't expect to hear back. I got a letter from him saying, if you're ever in New Jersey, New York area, come visit. He lived in Rumson, New Jersey. The opportunity did come about at one point. I went to go visit him. Uh, You you come up to the house, and it's exactly like a wizard's house, right? The front door opens the wrong way. There's a secret way with a magnet to uh, unlock the door in the front. Uh, he had a clock that ran backwards. Uh, he had uh, hidden staircases, hidden bookcases that uh, had rooms, hidden rooms behind him. And, you know, he had big, huge macaws. He just had all, you know, with typical magician's house. Right. Right? For the
1: lay people listening, James Randi is about as close to a real Gandalf as you are going to get. Just yep. an incredible, yep. incredible guy with a long white hair, white beard, just back Genius. in the, back
0: in those days he wore a yellow shirt and a batman belt oh wow. that was his thing right <laughs> he had to get rid of that when they they gave him the, the the macarthur award <laughs> he had to dress a little bit a little nicer so yeah um but anyway so i met randy and he didn't ask to see anything didn't ask to see me perform or do anything which i thought was unusual um didn't teach me anything um well he did teach me one thing i i didn't i, I didn't know that when you got yogurt back then that you had to mix it up to get all the taste in it i had no <laughs> clue because i hated yoga up, up until that moment so he did teach me that anyway so i go back to pennsylvania um and uh we in
1: pennsylvania
0: uh washington pennsylvania which is just south of pittsburgh uh, oh, cool. between pittsburgh and wheeling west virginia and uh i thought okay that was uh, all right what was that you know that was nothing so um and then uh A few, about a year or two went by, uh, and a couple opportunities came up where we might have been able to introduce me to a lab, but it never actually happened at that point. Now, scientists have lamented for years there's no evidence of ESP under proper scientific control due to lack of funding. It was my contention. had nothing to do with funding, and this is what I told Randy. I said, I believe that their biases were getting in the way. In other words, they believed in this phenomena, so rather than using proper science to document it and find out if it's real for us, which should be the first step, they already believed it was real. They skipped straight ahead, and they were trying to now document it so they could show it to the rest of the world. Um, and then there, I had another hypothesis, too, and it was that because they had PhDs, they thought they were too smart to be fooled by somebody who didn't have a PhD, and they wouldn't ex- uh, accept the expert opinion of somebody who basically is, has a PhD in magic, although you can't get a PhD in magic, but mm-hmm. basically knows magic inside and out. And uh, so, a friend of mine at uh, Washington Hospital came with an Associated Press article, and it said that they were—they just been given a half million dollar grant by McDonald uh, James S. McDonald, uh, McDonnell Douglas Aircraft, who had all the uh, uh, built all the planes for the military back then, and had all the contracts with them. And uh, so back then, a half million dollars was a lot of money because this is back in 1979, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they were looking for kids who could bend metal with their mind. So that was right down my alley. So I wrote them a letter, and they said they would like to see me. Uh, Randy called me about two weeks after I'd been down. I actually got a, a letter back from them saying they wanted to see me. And he said, hey, there's this guy that's been given you know, a half million dollar grant at, at Washington University in St. Louis. So I said, think of his initials. Is it a P and a P? He said, how do you know? I said, and I explained to him I'd already been accepted. (laughs) He then told me about another kid who had been accepted as well uh, by the name of Mike Edwards. Mike had already been there and bent some keys and impressed them, but Mike didn't know where to go from there, so he called Randy. And Mike is the one who actually called it Project Alpha back in those days. Uh. Uh, He he, he gave it the name. And uh, I said, well, what do you know about the kid? He said, I don't know much about him. I said, well, can I trust him? He said, I don't know. Play it by ear. Um, And Mike had had this same conversation with Randy. He said, if this guy, Steve Shaw, which was my name back then, you know, is is, is not any good, I'm gonna call him out. Like, I'm gonna pretend like he's a trickster, you know, and I don't know him or anything about him, right? And Randy said, that's fine. So anyway, I get to St. Louis, I get off the plane, I meet Mike, we hit it up, like right away. We knew it was gonna be a lot of fun. And uh, there's a lot more stories, but uh, I don't know how much time we have. So basically what happened was for the next four years, we can 108 hours total, we went there the whole four years, we convinced scientists that we could actually
1: bend and move objects with our mind. How uh, were, without going into method, how were you able to do that under their test conditions? Or maybe yeah. I should ask it, how did their biases allow the test conditions to permit you yep. to
0: pull illusions on them? Well, first of all, we, we played into their biases and uh, there's a thing called spontaneous PK. Spontaneous PK is where things just, uh, you know, psychics give this burst of energy, they have no control and things just happen around them without them even knowing, right? If you can do that, then the scientists will sit there and go, I wanna get that on film. Someday I'm gonna get that on film. That plays a little bit to their bias, right? And I started that right at the moment Mike and I, we got into a rental, uh, we got into Peter Phillips's car, actually. Peter got a rental car at the airport the first time we got there. And we're following him in, the, in, in his car. And I look in the back seat and I see a briefcase. And I go, oh, okay. So I slide it to the front, it's locked. I'm like, oh, okay, so they don't want you to get in there. So I pick the lock, get inside, and it's all this cutlery, like all this silverware is in there. So I start bending it all up, I lock it up, put it in the back seat sit there for a little bit, twiddle my thumbs. I open up the glove compartment. There's some metal in there. I bend that up. I start to reach over for the car keys. And Mike is like, don't, you've done enough damage already <laughs> at that point, which I had done enough damage. But that was so that later on he would find those things and go, man, their energy is so great. I just need to get that in the laboratory and need to get that on film. So we were already playing for their biases the moment we got off the plane. And, and we knew we had to do that because we didn't know what we were walking into. We didn't know if they're going to have uh, one-way mirrors with cameras behind it are they going to be leaving cameras running when they say the cameras are off? Um, you know, Do they know anything about magic? We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So every bend we did in the beginning was on a micro bend. Now, I should back up a little bit. Before I arrived the first time, Randy sent them, just kindly sent them out of the blue, 11 caveats of things they should and shouldn't do. Don't let the subjects work with more than one object at a time. Uh, don't let more than one subject work at the same time because they can distract you, you know, but by doing things like this. Uh, mark everything on a micro and a macro level. And there was 11 of these things, right? Um, they showed us that list. They said, this guy by the name of Amazing Randy, have you ever heard him? We acted like we hadn't. Said, uh, you know, send us this list, take a look at that. And we read the list, you know, and then they just started laughing. said so there's no way we could do those things. You guys would be so uncomfortable. So already their biases were getting in the way. They wanted oh Hmm. because one of the things was don't let the it's probably on the roof up there. We've actually have um, uh, people putting tiles on the roof. So but we won't pick that up on the mic. Okay. Yeah. So immediately right off the bat, you know, they threw that stuff away. Um, and they were willing to let us control the tests. Uh, They didn't mark everything on a micro and a macro level. In fact, they marked it only on a macro level, and the way they did it was they would have all this cutlery, different types of cutlery, of course, not all the same, but different types, so different sizes. They would measure it at the neck and at the ends, you know, how high it was off the table, Um, mark all that down, and then put, you know, the number tag that was next to it, and I would just hold an item, and I would say, "Hey, this tag's in my way. Can I take it off?" "Yeah, you can." Yeah, so I t- now I'm controlling the experiment, right? Which you shouldn't let the subject do. I put it down, concentrate, nothing happens. Pick up another fork that looks completely different, take that tag off, put it off, concentrate. Then I reverse the tags. Then maybe an hour later, after you know, because we would sit there for hours trying to bend things, pick one of those up, concentrate, and I'd say, "Here, go ahead and measure that." and they would go ahead and measure it. And of course, now it's changed, because it's changed basically because the tags had changed, right? Mm -hmm. It hadn't actually bent. So those were the micro bends we were doing in the beginning. Or more than one object, one object on the table As you lean over, you actually put your arm on one of the forks, push down just a little bit, pick up one of the other forks, so things like that. Again, shouldn't let us work with more than one object at a time. So they broke every single rule that was on that list. Now, I should say, um, because this is an interesting story, uh, further down the line, we were at a convention where Yuri Geller was, you mentioned him earlier. And um, there was a guy uh, by the name of Tony Edwards who came over from the UK, uh, a BBC reporter. And he wrote Randy, because Randy was the leading skeptic. said, mm-hmm. what would convince you this was stuff was real? Randy sent him the same 11 caveats. Now it was me, it was Mike who I mentioned, uh, and there was another kid, Masawaki Kyoto from Japan. Mm -hmm. Masawaki uh, had become famous for twisting forks, kind of like the twist when you got there. The only thing was that Masawaki had a gimmick in his shoe and he would put the fork in there, give it a twist, uh, when nobody was watching, and then later on, make it look like he was actually making it bend. It became the holy grail for me to find a way how to do that without using an object like that and being able to do it real time, and I finally came up with a method, uh, which that's another whole story, another tangent, another rabbit hole. Sure. But, um, so this guy followed every single one of Randy's rules. Now, a lot of people will say, what harm does bending metal do? What harm do these things do? What do these beliefs do? Well, they, they chip away at critical thinking. And when you chip away at critical thinking, you leave yourself open for things. Uh, like nowadays, you know, nobody can nobody knows what to think about COVID. Nobody knows what to think about anything anymore, right? right. You just, you, you, you don't, you, you basically, you take anything that goes with your bias and that you use that to support it. You don't care mm-hmm. if it's a fact, it becomes, you know, your fact. And people say that, well, that's not my fact. Well, no, that's not the way it works. Facts are facts, right? Opinions and opinions. They're two totally different things. But anyway, back to Tony. So the camera, he follows everything. Nothing happens all day. The cameras go off. Masawaki Kyoto then magically starts to uh, twist the fork when the cameras go off. Edwards, Tony Edwards, starts having uh, like complete mental breakdown, screaming, yelling about how evil <laughs> Randy was, how bad Randy is. And you know, he shouldn't have listened to Randy in that. Um, and he looks down the front of his pants and there's a white splotch, that, well, wet splotch right there and he says he had a demonic ejaculation, literally came straight out and said, I just had a demonic ejaculation, screaming it, right? I had to spend the night with his assistant, Dee Clayton, in her room all night because she was scared to death because he kept calling her every five minutes, screaming and yelling about Randy. Um, he had a—he he should have been put in a, a, a psych ward at that moment, right, because it was really, oh really, God. really bad. And it scared both Mike and I at that point. You asked earlier about how did we feel, well, when we were working with the scientists when we first came in, it was us against them, right? Y- right? You know, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. And it's not that black and white, it's not that simple. Peter Phillips was a wonderful, wonderful man, right? A very good heart, the, uh, the, the Peter Phillips, the scientist. Mm-hmm. A- and th- they were great people, you know? We ate with them, we had lunch, dinner with them every day. You know, we spent off time with them. They're just good, good people. They were just basically in an area that they shouldn't have been in, right? They, they, they were self-deceived, and um, and and, and and when when that happened with Tony, both Mike and I, like, we can't do this anymore. You know, this is yeah. really having an effect on people. And we told Randy and Randy said, look, it's only going to be a couple more months. We're going to come out on a TV show in search of Houdini. We're going to come out on that show and we're going to explain that everything is a, a magical miracle. It was called. Sorry, not yep. in search of Houdini. Magical miracle. And we're going to come out and say that it was all a, a hoax, which we ended up doing. Uh, at that point when we came out and said it was all a hoax, the scientists would not answer their phone until they got a hold of us. Um, and w- when they first got a hold of me, they said, you know, we've heard this rumor that you guys are working with Randy. They knew it was more than a rumor because it was in every paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I said, well, what do you think? And it, I've got it on tape. He says, well, I don't think it could, that can't be true. I'm like, unfortunately it is. Uh, You know, and then he just kept pushing for like, well, what about this? What about this? Just trying to hold on to find one thing that he could hold on to that he could say was actually psychic.
1: Did Randy want to be proven wrong? Uh,
0: I, I don't think
1: so. Because, you know, you talked earlier about critical thinking. And trust me, I'm as skeptical as they come. Yeah. But I do think the brain is capable of amazing things we don't know about. My grandfather, when he went on hospice in February of 20, he was supposed to die by March. He held on till August because he was a POW in Korea and he has always been throughout his entire life, mind over matter and the mind just trying to conquer what's going on in his body. That's how he held on for so I think long. the
0: mind can do amazing things with your body my grandfather laid in the bed for five years dying because he didn't want to die you Right. Know, it's uh, you know you do see this quite often my uh, mother-in-law well my ex-mother-in-law um she passed away yesterday actually that day before yesterday and it was an interesting thing um you know I knew her pretty well a little close to her not super close but close um and um she just decided she'd had enough taking pain pills and everything and she wasn't going to be taking her meds anymore. She was done. She was done. And I think that's, I think people should have that choice. You should have that choice. When you're done, you're done. We're all going to die anyway. In my opinion right. is like, you know, bet, what what better way to go than choosing your own way to go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just being in pain and, and being upset and being angry all the time just because pe- other people want you to stay alive, right? Uh, so... She just told her family, I'm done. I'm not taking my meds anymore. I'm not taking any of this. I'm done. I, you know, I, And I know I'm going to immediately go downhill and pass away, You know, but I'm good with that. And uh, they all went to go visit her uh, at the hospital, and she got to say goodbye to everybody. And uh, there's some weird stuff with me and my ex-wife. My ex-wife has I, – I, I don't want to go into too much about it. Because, sure. But, but – there's issues there with her and the whole family as well. Right, And I just didn't want to cause more problems because last time I went to go visit you know, my, my in-laws, my ex-in-laws, it caused all kinds of problems with her. Uh, so I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to stay out of it or not. And I called my daughter and my daughter says, oh, I'm here right now. You know, um, you know she wants to talk to you, you can say hi. And she, she can't, she was at the point where she wasn't even able to speak anymore they gave her the phone and for the first time in like that day she hadn't spoken she said she spoke to me she she actually talked to me and they told me like i had the last words with her and they told me that she said at one point she said okay now i'm done because I was like the last person that she needed to talk to. Just had and it happen. was shortly after that that she passed away. But that's what she was waiting for. She was waiting to say, you know, goodbye to me. Because mm-hmm. she wanted to say goodbye to everybody.
1: Yeah. So where's that line between not knowing what the brain can do I, and claiming I, about psychic I, this I, and th- that? I think that's different. I, I think, you know, mind over body
0: is a whole different ball game right. compared to, you know, saying that we can actually read somebody else's mind. That, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, there's... Yeah, I think I I think uh, to me those are two different things. Uh, it's, it's apples and oranges. That, right. that's apples and oranges right there. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think you can get to the point to where you're ready to die, but you can still hold on a little bit longer. You can hold on before you let your body go. Right. You're, you're just straining. You're trying to hold on and and you're pushing. You know, it's like running a race. You can run that extra like few feet just to get there. You you make it and you're done. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So let's talk about my. Uh, well, let, well, let's go back. Sure, one please. Second.
0: Back, back to Randy. Um, so I don't, but I don't think Randy. I can't speak for Randy. I don't. There's a difference between me and Randy in that aspect. I think because I don't think Randy was really hoping to find anything. He, I think, he 100 percent knew there wouldn't be anything out there. Whenever I tested a psyche for the Randy Million Dollar Challenge, we had a million dollar challenge where Randy has a million dollars sitting in a bank account, still there right now. Um, for any psychic that could demonstrate their ability, ability under proper scientific control. Um, I've tested many psychics on his behalf. And I have this interesting switch in my head that the moment I go in, I want to believe that this person can do it. And I, I put this switch in my head in that moment. Now, and I'm not going to let him get away with anything. And I'm not going to break any, any of the controls, right? But, but I really, truly hope that they can do it. And part of my thinking on that was, like, if a psychic could truly prove they had these abilities, and this is my whole thing with mediums, right, it would change science. It would change science as we know it, and that's why I would think that a medium who knows they can talk to the dead and truly believes that they can has a certain responsibility to humankind to prove that this is actually real, as opposed to just trying to make people, what they say, comforting people, right? Right. Um and making people happy, as some people say. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can give crack to a junkie. It's going to make him happy. It doesn't mean that it's good for him. And not going through the grieving process, which is what they stop, they stop the grieving process, is bad for people. You need to go through the grieving process so you can t- continue with the living and not be living with the dead.
1: Do these people convince themselves that they have these powers or are they just that narcissistic that they think they'll get away with it? I think
0: the majority of them are narcissistic and think they can get away with it. I do think there are people that believe they can actually communicate with the dead. They know that they're not really hearing anything or maybe they do hear some sort of something in their head or maybe they're just going off instinct and jazz mentalism kind of in a way and they get mm-hmm. hits. Uh, I, I, because it's the same thing. Like I have a very good friend, um, Ray Hyman. Ray, Ray told me he, he actually started uh, psych back in the day. Um, And Ray, uh, one of the biggest skeptics, well, the biggest skeptic society around, he started it with Randy and Martin Gardner and uh, Paul Kurtz and a few others. And he was giving talks on tarot cards, but he never actually read tarot cards, right? But he was giving talks on why this stuff could not work from a scientific point of view. And there came a point where he said, you know what, if I'm going to be doing this, I should at least learn a system, go out and experience what it's like to give readings, right? And he started doing that. And he started getting hits, and more and more hits, and the more he did it, the better he got. And He, was, he started thinking to himself, wait, man, maybe there's something here that I didn't understand. I, I don't understand this. And it wasn't until a friend said to him, look, Ray, you're a smart man, you're a scientist, you know, look at it scientifically. And the guy gave him a suggestion. He said, look, give a reading to somebody. Try to remember as much as you can about that reading and give that same reading to the next 15, 20 people you give a reading to. Now, Ray, who's a very honest person, was now left with a dilemma because he's learned a system. He's supposed to be using that system. People are paying for him to use that system. Well, Not that system, but to use a system. Mm-hmm. And now he's got to lie to people. Before, he didn't feel like he was lying. He felt like he was actually using a system and giving them readings, even though he didn't believe it in the beginning. But now he's got to lie to people. But he went ahead. He bucked. He sucked it up. He went ahead and did it. And he found out that he actually was getting better responses from all the people that the reading was not meant for. Than the person that it was actually meant for, he got a good, good he, got, he got, you know, good, good response from the person it was meant for, but it was even getting better responses from most of the other people as well because he just got better at delivering it, right? Oh wow! And he realized what was happening. He was just getting this positive feedback. He wasn't getting any of the negative feedback from people, and it basically people were interpreting it to have meaning. They were projecting it onto their own lives, mm. and
1: that's what was happening. It's incredible. Th- this whole art form psychological thinking is just it's what you have done is incredible and it's i don't want to say it's distilled down but you can see banachek's skill uh at mind games at the strat it opened in august talk about what that experience has been for you doing a lot of the routines that you're known for in the magic world now for people nightly here yep. in Vegas. It, it's,
0: it's, it's different, right? It, it's, like I said, I get to go in there every night in the same stage, in the same theater. Now, people will often say, the interesting thing about what I do, not all mentalism shows are this way, but people will say, do you change things in your show? i was about to say something, but let me let me preface that, because I, I remember seeing videotapes of myself when I was younger, and I had thought I hadn't changed anything in my show. The whole show's completely changed, so, you know, incrementally we change things, and we do that here with this show as well. Incrementally we change things. You, some people may not notice if they come from one night to the next night, but I've changed subtle wording, or I've changed the effects slightly or I've pulled out a piece of the routine and added a little piece of the routine and these things change and over time they change a lot now I'm in a 620 seat theater I'm in the same theater every single night so I'm at the point right now even though we've done 130 shows I've changed some things but that's because of time because I have a show that comes on right after me and I gotta be off stage so Xavier Mortimer can get on stage and do his show and I, I've got things that I want to put in the show, I've got things that I want to take out of the show, and that will happen as time goes on. But it's a comfortable thing, I don't have to do it immediately. I can slowly implement those changes and have them change. Um, so that that's really sweet. Every show is different because it's a kaleidoscope of thoughts and ideas that people have out there, and I'm dealing with different people. It's also interesting from the aspect because I do have the lights and I do have the videos and things are on cues and they're based upon things that I say and things that I do where these changes happen within the scenery, right? Mm-hmm. So oh. when you do jazz mentalism as what I do and jazz mentalism is where you're performing but depending on what the person says, you kind of change the routine slightly. It makes it challenging because now I've not only got, I can't just skip from the beginning of the routine to the end of the routine to the middle of the routine, Mm -hmm. which I used to be able to do, because there may be a cue that's in the middle of the routine that changes the scenery and the lighting.
1: Right. I saw you Friday the 4th uh, of February, and you were dealt such difficult hands that night for your blindfold routine, you had a very obstinate man on stage the microphone didn't work yep he was being v- we had a, we had a new sound guy
0: i uh, had a i uh, had a new girl that was training on stage as well mm-hmm. uh, t- and and i mean and th- in fact everybody was new in the theater that day Tra- oh we had people training that day because oh, we wow. just come back from a break as well yeah and some people were out with covid and it was just it, it, was, it was the perfect storm. And then on top of that, the people that
1: were on stage. Yeah, yeah. A the people of them, that yeah. were on stage, the guy that was on stage, first of all, he didn't have a microphone working. But secondly, he was, I don't want to say he was ornery, but he was oddly specific. And he was taking his time to follow yeah. your instructions. And I'm like, TikTok, this is a seventy five minute show. Come on, dude. Yeah. And on top of that, the woman who got the objects got three of essentially the same objects. Oh, this object. is the
0: one where she got like she got like lip gloss, lip gloss and something mascara, mascara like, an like eyeliner. The, yes. and I
1: and I'm very
0: like I can't be more clear with them like go out, you're gonna go to three different people, get three completely different objects, you know. Yeah. I, I I'm very like clear about that. And she basically
1: got the same things. I think she was so quick though, I would say um, I think she didn't realize until she was on stage that yeah. you know a gel, a, what looked like a lipstick. There was a gel, and then a yeah. like a pen. Probably didn't realize. Well, I always say get
0: things you know what they are. So right. She should be looking at them when she gets them. Yeah. I say
1: get. Make sure you know
0: what they are, and make sure they're big enough that everybody can see. Yeah. And
1: and then for yes. this, oh the metal bending. The metal bending. Yeah. You pull up a, a little girl who looked at you and said. No speaking. No speak English. No speak English. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh crap! crap. <laughs> but we made it work. You made Th- it that work. That was the thing. They and still. She still
0: becomes the star. Yeah. You know, even with that. Because what am I going to do? Am I going to send her back at that point? Get out of here, kid. You don't speak English. You can't do that. You no. know. And what am I going to do with a guy on stage when I'm already blindfolded? I can't really get rid of him at that point, right? right? It's just like you have to make it work. You work with the cards that you dealt, and I, and but there's there's something I think. I think there's something also charming about that. There's something yeah. sometimes when you have a difficult ex- spectator, and I'm not an ass to them. I don't treat them like crap. You know, I know other medalists who would have taken that situation and tore into those people or, or had some old comedy club lines because I work comedy clubs. I got those lines too. You know, where'd you learn to whisper in a fucking helicopter? You know, it's <laughs> like, you know that, that there are people that use those lines in town, and you can't do that. When you're dealing with people in these situations, but mm-hmm. they do do that. They still do that, right? So I like to, I think there's something about even when a person is being difficult on stage a little bit, you still being nice to them and treating them nicely. Indeed. You know, once in a while I'll point out, oh boy, it's going to be one of those nights, isn't it? I'll say something like that, yeah. which gets a good laugh because everybody's in on it at that point, right? Exactly. And if a person is like, like I've had people. I don't think that guy was being, like, that way on purpose. I think it's just the way he is. Yeah. But I've had people be a bit of a a a-hole, you know, like that. And I'll I'll, I'll say to them, I'll say, look, if you try to trick me, you're going to trick me. Like, it's going to be, and it's not going to be entertaining for anybody else. You know, it's only going to be entertaining for you, and that's kind of selfish. So do me a favor, work with me. I, I will say that if the person is really, really, like, obviously being a, a jerk, you know?
1: Right, well, I knew he was gonna be difficult because I don't know if you heard this because you were giving instructions, but he goes, what, nobody else had money? Because you asked for somebody that has money. What, nobody else had a bell? And me being a magician and studying mentalism, yeah. I'm just trying to do the respectful thing of, of not. Oh, he said that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear that, Participating. Participating, no. yeah. otherwise I would've raised my hand and been like, yeah, I'll be cooperative, yeah. but I'm trying to do that. Yeah, no,
0: no, 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 yeah, yeah, no. Oh, wait, he said that or? He
1: goes, what, nobody else had money? <laughs> like trying to. Oh, be really? Funny. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, I missed that. Yeah.
0: You know, he must have said that when he was way out in the audience still somewhere. Yeah.
1: So, how do you? T- I mean, obviously, I know Vegas. I've interned yep. at Vegas shows. There's clocks everywhere for the performers to make sure they're off on time.
0: There are not. Really? Yeah, there are not. In fact, I bought a big LED, it's way up in the booth in the very back in the booth up there, but they take it down for the other shows.
1: So how do you time when you are dealing with somebody that takes a little bit more time yep. to understand your instruction, to to do what you need them to do? How do you time that out? So this was a
0: problem when I first got into that room because sometimes, it, it, this is an interesting room because the, the, it's tiered seating as well. And what I mean yep. by tiered seating is you pay more to be up front. Mm-hmm. So there are times when you won't have that many that are sitting at the tables up front and you'll have more people way in the back. It takes a while for some of those people in the back to get up on stage. So I try to choose people as much as possible in that bottom area where the tables are, right? Mm-hmm. Just, and it's more of, of economy, of getting them up on stage, because I don't like that time. I like to be doing something. It's, it's why when I do the blindfold, uh, when the lady's collecting objects, uh, some mentalists might have somebody go collect objects and then come up on stage and they wait and they talk during that time a little bit. But I'm doing the dollar bill with the guy on stage at that moment. That dollar bill is just filler for her to get the objects, right? Mm-hmm. When um, when the blindfold's coming off, she's taking the objects back. So there's always something happening in those dead times, always something happening. Uh, uh, but In this room, It causes me a few problems because now I end up with less people to be able to select from. And I end up with people like that guy right Mm -hmm. there. And then I have to make it work. So, yeah, Um, because I tend to have certain specific types of people I like to use. I've had people come to shows before when I've done corporate shows and they said, man, I've come to see your show three times when you've been in town and all three times you've chosen me. (laughs) And it's something about them and I really can't tell you exactly what it might be the way they're smiling might be the way
1: they laugh it might be what they wear that's why I'm choosing that person right you know and and you'll interact with the audience too like I didn't do anything and I ended up with the fork here check that out yeah you know you let us keep it. Um, so this is not the first time you have the fork, you said, right? No, this is the first time. Oh, it is the first you time. Okay, okay. Because I've um, had people come up
0: and say, look, you know, this is not the first fork I've got. And it's like <laughs> out of hundreds of people, I've chosen that same person like years apart.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always funny when that happens. And I can't tell you why. But yeah. There
0: is something. Is that I've been doing it so long that there's a certain type of pe- person I choose for things.
1: I've gone, are you familiar with Hamner and Barber out in Branson, Dave Hamner and Jim Barber? Their magician and ventriloquist out in Branson. You know
0: what? I've heard the name because I was in Branson for a little bit uh, two summers ago. I think it was or something like that. So
1: my best friend that I met completely coincidentally in D.C. was on stage with Jim Hamner, and I know Hamner very well. This show started as uh, my show for those listening on Banachek's Brain started as a ventriloquism podcast. Um, Oh. So you mean I didn't have to speak at all? (laughs) You could have done this whole interview here with pretending you're with me. So I know Jim Barber, but my best friend was like, Yeah, I was in Branson. We went to see Hamner Barber. Jim pulled me up on stage. I'm like, Jesus, I could call him right now, you could tell him that. So it's really funny how years apart things can end up being the same on stage. Yeah. It's it's awesome. You mentioned in the show uh, a couple of times, and especially with your finale. Uh, religion, that kind of thing. you a religious person? I am not. No.
0: No. No. Um, however, having said that, my kids um, were the youngest, oldest servers in their church. I supported them 100%. Huh. Uh, I used to go to church with them. Uh, when I go to Houston, Texas, I go to church with my daughter. <laughs> my poor daughter. She's like, Dad, please come. Please come. I'm like, All right, I'll come with you. And uh, so we go. And we go see um. Oh, what's his name? The big uh, the guy that owns. Oh uh, 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 Why can't I think of his name? It, one of the big big. Austin. Joel yeah, Joel Olstein. Joel yeah. Olstein. So she goes to Joel Olstein's church, right? Oh wow! And she said, "Dad, they never. It's never about money. They don't ask for money and everything. You know that." I get there. The whole sermon was all about tithings, like the whole thing. And she just looked at me and said. It's because you're here. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're here, dad. I'm sorry. You know, I was like, I just laughed. It was like, yeah, it's never about money, baby. <laughs> See, I could keep so, talking yeah, to you because, yeah.
1: you know, you 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 debunked Peter Popov. Yep. Uh, you are the man who did that. You were the man with the radio. Yeah. So, so for, but, your, for
0: your audience, I've talked about this on and I've talked about yeah. Project Alpha, but for your audience, Peter Popov, Randy, uh, after Project Alpha a few years later, back in uh, 87, I think it was came to Houston, Texas. He said he was writing an article for, um, it was one of the uh, uh, nudie magazines. It might have been Hustler or something like that. He said he's writing an article on uh, evangelists. He says, there's one in town I'm going to go see. You want to come see him with me? I was like, yeah, of course. I want to come see him with you. So we show up and there's about 10,000 people there. And we're sitting there and this man of god comes out on stage and he said he was getting the word of god now the word of god basically God talks to you directly and he gives you information right kind of like my q a routine mm-hmm. um so uh, he gets up on stage mrs johnson where are you wearing a yellow shirt over in section b over here there you are stand up for me and you know tells her all kinds of information her family her doctor her at home address all this stuff giving her information He's healing kids, uh, you know, basically making blind kids see, people that can't walk walk. He's doing all these things, and then, and I'm I'm getting caught up in it emotionally. I mean, when you see a little kid walking who couldn't walk before, you know, you get emotionally, you know, you get teary eyed. Even though you know it's BS, which I did, you know, at the time, but you still get caught up in this whole thing emotionally.
1: Now, to clarify for my listeners, yep. are these stooges or are these people who are just so moved that? Well, I'll, I'll clarify. That it. Yeah, let me go yeah, through please. the story and I'll get to sure, that to that sure. part
0: because I don't want to expose the thing ahead at a time. So let yeah, me go let ahead and get to that part. So Papa says, "Come down. You know, I need fifteen people to help me go gather, him, you know, uh, money and stuff." So I, I don't know how he phrased. I'm sure he didn't phrase it like that. He was much more clever than that. <laughs> so I go down. I get a bucket. Offerings, probably what he said. I came down, got a bucket, go around, and we're getting money offerings. You know, and I probably got like ten grand in my in my bucket, if not more. Right? I pour that out. And now we have to go get sealed offerings, and that's like checks and stuff. So God knows how much money was in there after I did that, pour that out. And now any other offerings, and that's like jewelry, watches, things like that, right? So we're going around getting those. And as I come down, I look up. I notice he has no ear hole. It's a piece of plastic in there. So I go to Randy and I said, look, either this man or God can't heal himself or something else is going on. He said, are you sure? Because I think he's using mnemonics. I said, he's not using mnemonics. Mnemonics I use all the time. You get a lot of information about a few things or a little information about a lot of things, but you don't get that much information about that many things. And uh, Randy, uh, when uh, next uh, Popoff's next stop was Anaheim, California, Randy got a friend from MIT to come in a couple of hours early with a scanner, and they scanned all the frequencies, blocked all those frequencies out, so that any new frequency that popped up, we would find immediately uh, a lot quicker. And sure enough, when the Man of God hit the stage, a frequency popped up, and it appears we taped it. It appears that uh, God broadcast at thirty-nine point seventeen megahertz, and sounds a lot like Peter Popoff's wife. <laughs> Was Peter Popoff's wife. So we uh, started, to, uh, we really took it on full, hook, you know, uh, at that point. And uh, we had uh, people like try to get healed. We had one guy dress up as a woman, uh, Don Henvick, and uh, he was cured of over and cancer, which is impossible, of course. Um, anyway, we got all this footage. And then what we did was we took it to the Tonight Show. Where he went on the Tonight Show with it. He showed Peter Popoff's revival because Popoff you know fortunately for us he broadcasts his show every week so we were able to take that footage live footage show that and then we were able to show it again with the uh, the voiceover running with it right and we could actually hear mrs. Popoff and uh, Johnny Carson uh, who hadn't been told what was gonna happen and always wants to know what's gonna happen a show but as people said no you don't. you don't want to know this time you want to be surprised and he says, "Does he know about this?" And no,pe doesn't know about it. Oh, the other thing Johnny said was, "Oh shit!" in the middle of this, and so they had to <laughs> edit that out, which they never edited Johnny's stuff ever. You know, he didn't want it to be edited. It took about two years for Pop Off to end up finally going off the air. He's back on the air now. Um, and he's just doing things like hey, Mrs. Jameson, you know, uh, well, it doesn't say names even he just says somebody out there has cancer Somebody out there has a headache and he's selling his healing water, which is water from Chernobyl right now It's been water from all other places at times through the years uh, But supposedly there's this is area where people when they drink the water they get healed of radiation, you know, which is just a total BS So that's that's what he's doing now now the tricks that Popoff were doing were basically he would have people fill out prayer cards ahead of time, mm-hmm. um, and then they would put them into a box, and then those would be switched at some point and go to Mrs. Popoff out in a truck, and she would sort through them and take out some of the best ones. Another little trick was a Catherine Coleman trick, and this is how you get people to walk. You wait for somebody who's walking in with a cane. People come to these things hours ahead of time, right? And uh, one of its people would say, hey, you know, I, how would you like me to put you in a wheelchair? I could put you right up front. Who's going to say no to that? So this person who could kind of walk with a cane, but not real well, but could walk, gets in a wheelchair and they're up front. At some point, as they're pushing them down there, the assistant says, What's your name? Where you're from? You know, oh yeah, hopefully Mr. Popoff will get to you and help you. So now he's got all this information, writes it down, gives it off to Mrs. Popoff. At some point the man of God can come out and he says, uh, he'll point at the person in the wheelchair right there, you know, he says, Now I you know, we've never met before, have we? Well, of course not. You know, his person met him, right? He says, God tells me your name is, and God says this, and God says you'll never be able to walk again. And the guy probably questions in his head, well, he's a man of God. I'm not going to question him. He must mean never be able to walk properly again. Mm -hmm. That must be what he means because he also tells him why he can't walk as well. He says, I say you can, God says you can, you know, and he does the whole thing. Stand up. Now, keep in mind, the guy's got 10,000 eyes on him, so he's got all this adrenaline flowing through his body. The dopamine's hitting, you know, the pleasure centers. He's feeling really good at this point. Probably not feeling as much pain as he did earlier, right? The guy stands up. First miracle to everybody else is the, the guy who couldn't walk is now standing, right? As far as they could, they know, he couldn't even stand. He says, take a few walks. Well, next miracle, a guy who couldn't walk is now walking. He could walk like that, but he even he's feeling like I'm walking better. Popoff takes a cane, breaks it, throws it off stage. Nobody questions why a guy that couldn't walk had a cane. They just don't think that far, right? And then Popoff goes, sits in the wheelchair, says, go to the back of the wheelchair. The guy go, hobbles to the back of the wheelchair. He says, push me. He pushes him. So now you got a guy who couldn't even walk pushing somebody else in a wheelchair. But basically the wheelchair acts as a walker, right? So now he takes the chair. Popoff does, gets out of it, puts it back where it is. Says, is that your wheelchair, right? And the guy's going to say yes. Just like, right, if you get out of that chair right now and I go, oh, that's your chair, right? You're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. You're not taking it home, right? but it's your chair. Sits in there. You've seen this whole miracle. So these people are, most of them are not stooges. He has used stooges in the past. I've seen footage of things and definitely using a stooge, you know, on, on some of the stuff. But there's a lot of these tricks where you can make it seem like somebody who can't see, can see. Because keep in mind, like, if if you say that you're blind, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't see anything. You might be able to see shadows. There's different degrees of blindness, right? Right. So, you know, I can hold fingers up and you can tell me there's two or you can tell me there's three. And if you've got all that attention on you, you also have that adrenaline going through your body. You're feeling good. You're feeling like maybe I can see a little bit better, right? Mm -hmm. But you're just seeing exactly the same way that you did before.
1: love it. My gosh, Banachek, I could talk to you for hours about all of this stuff. Mind Games at the Strat in Las Vegas, right here. Go see it. This see him as fooled scientists, and he will fool you. Thank
0: you. You can go to banachek.com to get tickets. It pops right up, it'll take you straight to the Strat. Um, You know, keep an eye out for my podcast, Banachek's Brain, as well. Uh, Anything Banachek online, Instagram, Facebook, you know, just put in Banachek right there. You know, shout out, say hi. I
1: like it when people say hello. I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Banachek. Thank you very much for your hospitality. And thank you to his manager, Tyus, for putting it all together, picking me up at my hotel. Uh, And actually, we went and ran some errands together after that. So had a fun afternoon with them. We hung out for a little bit after the interview. And then, like I said, I went and did some errands with Tyus. So thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you guys again soon when I'm back out in Vegas. And those of you that know me know that I'm there as often as I can be. So that is it for us today. Remember, you can reach out to me at TalkForTwoCast at gmail.com. That's T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at talkfortwo instagram and it is now my only public instagram at talk for two pod those of you that find me want to follow M Bailey live i've made that just for friends now uh close friends of mine if you want to follow me publicly and see all the goings on follow at talk for two all the media stuff i do is over there check out banachek uh check out banachek at the strat and that is it i'm matt bailey signing off reminding everyone out there keep talking for two.
0: You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfortwo.com